We're so excited to share this teaching message with you from Sycamore Church, Ibadan, Nigeria. We believe God knows you and loves you, and through his word, he expresses his plans and purposes for your life. We hope that you open up your heart and really sense God speak to you through this message from our pastor, Tolulokwe Moody. Let's get right into the service and be blessed by this message. We are starting a new teaching series this morning, um, and we call it Talking to the Talkers. And, um, you know, one of the reasons why I'm so glad about this is I'm grateful that we have a God who is not silent in the face of the things that talk to us. And we live in a day and age where there are many loud voices all over us and, you know, there's so many things staring at us and talking to us every day. Um, But I'm grateful that God's word speaks about them, speaks to the things that speak to us. And so for a foundation, before you sit, I want to read John 1 and verse 14 as we um, make ready for this this morning. John chapter 1, verse 14. I'll read it in the Message Bible um, this morning. It says, Jesus, um, it says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. The one of a kind glory. Where are you? The one of a kind glory. Like father, like son. Generous inside and out. True from start to finish. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. I'm so glad that, you know, the word is aware of what is happening in the neighborhood. It says that the word... Are you here this morning? Come on. The word moved into the neighborhood. Amen, anybody? Um, God is aware of what's happening in the neighborhood. And so this year, as we come around topics for the next four weeks, you know, you guys have voted topics you want us to speak on this year, and um, we're going to be doing Sapa and Poverty, what the Bible says about parties and celebration, what the Bible says about emotional and mental health, what the Bible says about nations, politics, and government. But today, I'm going to start out with, I hope the simplest, what the Bible says about gender and sexuality. (coughs) Excuse me. Come on, let's pray for God to speak to us. God, we pray that as we gather around your word this morning, you're going to speak in a way that is so simple that we would understand. But let it be so profound that it will make a mark in our lives forever. Lord, fill this house with your truth. Fill every heart with your truth. We need your truth, God. We need you to speak in a way that is louder than the voices that we hear on the outside. We're so grateful for it, Father. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Please be seated this morning. Tell somebody it's good to be around you. I'm so glad you are in church this morning. I didn't expect I'll have the honor of being next to you. You know, look at somebody on the other side and say, wow, your weight loss is working. Wow. Just, just watch them smile. <laughs> you know, just watch them smile. Everybody's trying something, I promise. All right. Okay. Um, so let's, let's get into God's word. You know, um, when we come to this whole thing of gender and sexuality, um, I'll just start by asking this morning, maybe if I could ask, what is your spec? You know, when you just, maybe a lady, and what's your spec about the ideal guy? You know, um, how do you define the ideal man? Or maybe as a man, how do you define the ideal lady? You know, what does gender look like in your side of the world? What is it um, like for you? Or what is even the benchmark by which we measure in questions of gender? What is the benchmark? You know, um, what does that look like? What, what does it even uh, mean to be a real man or to be a real lady and all of that and maybe as you hear all these kind of things maybe you've had experiences you know maybe some were not too good maybe things were done to you maybe um maybe passes were made at you that you were not comfortable with um maybe um maybe you fell victim of something or the other um but this morning i just want to say as a first big statement that i'm going to hammer on a lot this morning that you know what gender is god's idea Is anybody here? Come on, this morning. Gender 
is God's idea. I feel like the way it works was like on, on day six of creation, God had been creating for five days. And on day six of creation, God is like, what, what is next on the agenda? Like, what's next on the agenda? No, no, no. What's next on the agenda? Agenda, agenda. <laughs> See, I work hard on these things. You guys don't make me look foolish. Like, like gender, gender on the agenda. Like, anyway, whatever you make of it. But, but Genesis 1 and verse 26, the Bible says, God, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the cattle over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, verse 27, God created man in his own image. Now, watch here it goes. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So, so you know, God is saying that I'm making mankind in my image. And as an expression of that, he does male and female. In other words, the image of God is expressed. Attributes about God are expressed, right? The personality of God, attributes about God are expressed through the instrumentality of gender. And so there are things you see, come on, are you here this morning? You better stay with me. There are things you see in male, there are things you see in female. And God says the whole concept of male and of female is expression of who I am. All right, and so there are attributes that come out of God that are revealed just by the instrumentality of gender. And so in Genesis chapter 2, you see the play out of the creation process where God is now shaping man. And, you know, in verse 22, the Bible says the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. All right. And so God is taking out a rib from, from the man and then he's making it into a woman. And, and so the Bible is clear about God having this clear plan and picture, you know, about gender. Um, excuse me. <coughs> No compassion in this church, but it's, it's all right, whatever. Um, excuse me. The, the Bible is clear about God having this plan and purpose, just about gender, the differences of gender. Um, and so what you find as you walk through the Bible is that you're going to see peculiarities of gender, differences of gender, and how that in itself even forms a basis, all right, for functionality, for relationships, all right? Just the peculiarities of gender. As an example, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul is telling Timothy, you know what, Timothy, as a young man, there are different ways you relate. There are ways you relate with an older man. There are ways you speak to an older woman. There are ways you speak to a younger man. There are ways you speak to a younger woman. And he's emphasizing difference in two regards, difference of age, difference of gender, that just based on the peculiarities of gender, all right, there is difference in how we start to relate. So he's saying, look, with a younger woman, relate with all purity, okay? With a younger man, as a brother, you know, he's talking about difference of relationships just based on the peculiarity of gender. And what I would say this morning is that as I walk through the scripture, I see a strong note that we must rediscover what it means to use the power of gender, the peculiarity of gender for each other, not against each other. And what I mean by that is that there are certain attributes in every gender that are God-given, that are expressions of God. All right, and we must learn what it means to use them for each other. I believe that the masculinity power and strength is not given to oppress or to intimidate, but it's given to protect, it's given to affirm. Um, it's not given to take advantage of, 
of people's vulnerability, like, like, like this masculinity strength that just tries to take advantage of vulnerable people. Um, I believe with all my heart that a man of honor will not take advantage of a woman's vulnerability. And I'll just say that one more time, just for people visiting, not Sikamo members, but Sikamo guys know this, but just for somebody somewhere listening to this, a man of honor will not take advantage of a woman's vulnerability. Even if she seems to be asking for it. Even if she seems to not even have an idea or an opinion, a man of honor protects. He does not take advantage of vulnerability. (coughs) More compassion, thank you. I believe at the same time, feminine, that tenderness, that tenderness, please help me. (coughs) Excuse me, let me just, I'm sorry. Thank you so much. Yeah, wait for it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Resume. Did you pause my time? Well, feminine. You know, there's a tenderness about, you know, that feminine tenderness. I believe it is not given to seduce. It's not given to manipulate. It's given to nurture. It's given to build, to raise. You see that narrative so clear in the book of Proverbs where the Bible is talking about, you know, the wise woman and how she uses this tenderness to build her home, to build her life, how she looks out, how she's generous. There's that compassion and tenderness that the Bible clearly describes. But on the other hand, in the same book of Proverbs, you see that clear narrative of the seductive woman and how she uses this same thing to manipulate and to, you know, the craftiness and all of that. And I just believe that we must rediscover what it means to use the strength of gender for each other, not against each other. Um, We must be secure about standing in the strength of what gender affords us. It is not weakness, it is strength to truly understand gender that is given to us. The lady, the ability to nurture with compassion and tenderness as a man, that ability to stand strong in responsibility And all of this is anchored in an understanding of love and, you know, of honor, of seasons and of times, of wisdom. But it's using gender, it's using gender that God gives us, all right, to serve each other properly. So, let me say to you this morning, everybody, we're still laying a foundation that the gender inclinations that we see in ourselves, um, this gender attributes and inclinations, it's not anything to be insecure about. Or apologetic about. If you're right to write this down, we must not allow a society culture. We must not allow a, so- a society culture that is seeking to balance what it did not create to take us away from the beauty of gender. You must not. Don't allow a society culture that is claiming balance of what it did not create to take you away from the beauty. You see, there's a peculiarity of gender that God made. There's a beauty of gender that God made that he calls us to understand and be strong in. Don't allow a society culture that is claiming balance to take you away from the peculiarity um, of what God made. And so it's so bad because we live in a world now where gender is a decision that you make. Um, You know, you grow to decide your gender. Um, but come on, let's remind ourselves this morning, God made them. God made them male and female. He didn't make them and tell them, you know what, make a choice. No, God made them male. Are you hearing me this morning? Gender is not a decision you make. It is what God created you. So the world will tell you, you know, you give birth to people. The world these days, you don't even tag people. You don't call somebody male or female. You, you call them born with a vagina, born with a penis, you know. 
But God made them male and female. Are you hearing me this morning? And so maybe you are hearing all of that. I just say that there is a security and strength in gender that we must not lose. Um, there is a security, there is a strength about gender that we must not lose. And, and if you're there, you're thinking, you know what, I'm not, um, I don't have abs- absolute typical attributes of a gender. Like, you know, I don't feel all absolute, you know, like maybe they talk about ladies in a light. And I don't feel all that way, you know, in some way or the other, or, you know, just the other way and all of that. It, it's honestly okay. I mean, a whole lot of things shape us, right? Um, many times our personality expressions are products of, you know, background of experiences we've gone through of seasons of our life. There's a whole lot of working that shapes us, okay? I'm going to be doing a lot this morning. By the time I land, you'll get the picture clearer, but, but just to say that the concept is the concept, okay? Whether you feel all extreme about it or whether you feel somewhere inclined towards it, you know, that you are not a black Kenyan does not mean you cannot be a victim of racist abuse. Do you understand what I'm saying? You might be that uh, guy that's not even sure how black, you know, but he, he he calls you black and you're like, oh my God, he called me black, called me black, called me black. You know, you know, it's, it, there, there are people that you, before you even look at them, they, they're not even black, they're shadows. You, you, you know what I'm saying, right? But whether you feel all extreme about gender or you just feel the concept is the concept that God made them male and female. Amen, anybody? And so it's so beautiful to see in Genesis 2 that in the play out of creation, God makes the man... God makes the woman out of the man, but in the play out of creation, every man comes out of the woman. And I believe God uses that to demonstrate this beautiful interdependence of gender. And so Paul talks about that in Timothy, about how, you know, the man comes from the woman, but the woman came from the man. And it's this beautiful picture of how God demonstrates the interdependence um, of gender one and another. And so gender is given to us to reveal God. I believe gender is given to us to reveal attributes of God. You never really know just the patience and compassion of God until you really see the picture in the woman. You never really know, you know, just how tender-hearted and compassionate God can be. Gender is given to us to reveal attributes of God. Gender is given to us for functioning, all right? But not to build identity. Not to create different roads that lead to heaven. It's almost like there is a road that women pass to heaven. There's a road that men pass to heaven. So the women's big salvation plan is whether or not they wear trousers or whether or not they tie scarf. The big salvation plan for men is um, whether or not they wear ripped jeans. <laughs> you know? Gender is not given to demarcate roads to heaven. Gender is given for us to understand a functioning space. Um, so the Bible is not a big book of building identity around gender. The Bible is a big book of building identity in a journey of Jesus. All right? Um, so as you think about your growth journey, as you think about, you know, just how you try to build identity strength, I can't wait to marry because as a man, this, 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 make sure that you're not on a journey of trying to build identity in gender, all right? Um, our ultimate identity is collectively in Jesus. Galatians chapter 3 makes that clear in verse 26. It says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. All of you, right? You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. As long as you put your faith in Jesus, you know what? You become what he calls a son of God. How does that happen? By putting your faith in Jesus, not by some gender requirement. No, by putting your faith in Jesus, you become a son of God, all right? Now, next verse. It will get clearer. Verse 27. So, there is now, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Just can you help me with that bag? As many of you as were baptized into Christ. Whose bag is it? Okay, thank you. As many of you as were baptized, the content safe to look into. As many of you as were baptized into Christ, you, you need the warning. I, I, I have, 
have put on Christ. And that word baptized is a picture of immerse, all right? So I take this, and you can say this is black, all right? But I can baptize it into this bag. And it says you have put on Christ. So what color is it? It becomes brown. Some of you are like, what color is it? I'm not sure. All right? It has put on. So it says as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You have lost a self-identity. Now your identity statement is in Christ. Now we'll get clearer. Look at verse 28. <coughs> there is neither Jew nor Greek. You don't even have a tribe. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. I read that and I'm thinking, no. I feel like it should say you are no longer slaves. You are all free. And it says no. It's not even about being free or being a slave. Listen, you don't even have an identity. You have put on Christ. There's no slave. There's no free. You say, so does that mean we're bound? Our freedom is in our identity of Jesus. Our freedom is not in not being a slave. No. Our freedom is in the fact that we have an identity in Jesus. It says there's no longer slave nor free. Now look at the next one. It says there is neither male nor female. In other words, in Christ Jesus, we have a, collect- a collective identity. And it's not about an identity of male or female. No, our identity is one in Christ. That's why it says we're the bride of Christ. Do you understand? We have a collective. So there's no male or female. There's no Jew nor Greek. So I need my phone back, but it's not safe to dip my hand in. Help me. Thank you so much. There's no male or female. Thank you so much. Um, thank you. I didn't even want to look inside. Thank you. And so... When you read that and you're like, yes, I said it. There's no longer male or female in Christ. From today in this church, we must not have male and female toilet. <laughs> is that what he's saying? No. The gender is a functioning arrangement. But not an identity thing. Alright, so there's a way we function. That's why in the same way, there's no longer Jew nor Greek. Does that mean that I don't have a local government? No, I do. I have a tribe. But it is not my identity. My identity is in who Jesus is to me. But I have a gender within which I function. Alright? So gender is a functioning thing. Um, it doesn't take away the functioning peculiarities of gender. You can still have your language and your accent. Some of you, since you gave your life to Christ, your English has not improved. And it's okay. I mean, you should work on it. But what I'm saying is, it's, you have an identity in Jesus. Praise God. You know, an identity in Jesus. All right. Christ, Christ is our leveler. All right. Christ is our leveler. So we, in essence, there is a functioning structure within which the Bible teaches things to work based on the peculiarities of gender. For example, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul makes it clear and says, you know what? The man is the head of the home. Good statement. The man is the head of the home. So the man stands in a position of headship in the home. Does that make him better in identity? No. It is a functioning arrangement. There must be a structure. Oh, so we all get, oh, you all get employed. You get a new job and they say, we want everybody to come into the office to get their letters of employment. You're all going to come in in alphabetical order. Somebody's going to be in front. All right? Some of you know your life. What they say alphabetical? Your name is Anu. <laughs> yeah, just always in front of. But they say, okay, let's have um, project presentation. Number one, Anu. You know, you just can't, you can't, you know. Um, and so you go in first. You go in first. Does that mean you are better? No. It's a functioning arrangement. And the Bible says, look, the man is the head of the home. It is a functioning arrangement. Don't fight it. There's the peculiarity of gender. 
Are you hearing me this morning? And so, um, when we understand this, then we find a security in what God has designed us to be. And so, not to talk about, it's not a question of superiority. It's not a question of, you know. In fact, headship is not even a statement of leadership. Right? You can be in a country like ours and you can say, who is the head of government? You can have a head of government. It doesn't mean that he's the leader of the nation. Leadership can be coming from every side. Do you understand what I'm saying? A good home has leadership happening everywhere. From the parents to the children. Leadership must be happening all over a home. That's what a good head understands. Are you hearing me this morning? Alright? But there is a functioning arrangement for structure. And listen, when you understand the Bible's functioning arrangement, it is always anchored and girded in love, in honor, in submission, submitting to one another in the fear of God. It is not guarded in as self-assumption and, you know, enforcement. And, no, it is, it is a structure and arrangement that is, that is established in love and in honor for one another. And so, here's what I would say. We must function in a gender security that is established in a Christ-given identity. I'll take that again. We must function in a gender security that is established in a Christ-given identity. Honestly, I feel like saying sometimes to people, don't fight battles you are not called to fight. Don't win victories that don't count. You know? Oh, we must enforce 50% membership of every gender in every panel. Um, don't fight battles you are not called to fight. Um, don't win victories that will not count. Listen, you can have 90% representation anywhere. If you have not understood identity in Jesus, it will not answer the questions you are longing to answer. All right, we must have a gender security. Now, many times what you find is that because we live in a culture where things have been done wrong against certain genders in different ways, and honestly, that is totally painful and it is totally wrong. But one thing we must not fall victims of is becoming reactive. In the reactive narrative, you get a punch back, but you don't get soul healing. In the reactive narration, you you know, we we end and we also have a right to say that and to do that, but at the end of the day, there's an emptiness in our souls. What we really need is to grow in maturity of an identity that is in Jesus. And as a play out of that security, as a play out of that, we can be secure in our gender spaces. And so I'll say to everybody this morning that, you know, the New Testament is actually totally full. I'm saying this as a background because you might read the New Testament and, you know, see examples in Scripture about um, what happened with a woman here or with a man here and all of that. I have questions about gender, but I'm trying to track a narrative of gender in Scripture. And as a play out of that, you would see that the New Testament in Scripture is totally full of women participating in everything, leading, ministering, prophesying, praying, you know. Totally full of examples of all of these things. Um, and what you find is that um, the Bible speaks into the peculiar spaces of genders. And so sometimes, you know, you have what you call Bible culture, you have Bible practice. We'll talk about that in one of the weeks. I'll take a teaching on that. But what you find sometimes is that there is a culture that emanates from a setting. As an example, imagine you were coming into church and there was like a muddy space and then there was like a dry space. And we say, ah, we know ladies would typically wear high heels, so um, let the ladies come in this way. Let the men go that way, all right? And that becomes like our practice. The men go, you know, go on the muddy ground because they're wearing flats. The ladies wearing high heels are coming through the other side, right? That does not make it a doctrine for all generations. 
That's a practice based on the circumstance. Do you understand and what's going on here, all right? And so that does not now speak into the space of gender identity or anything. No, it's simply a functioning arrangement. And so what you have in the Bible, you have a lot of the Bible speaking into the peculiarities of genders, just based on the framework of gender. So as, as an example there, you'd see admonitions in Scripture about the Bible saying, women, be modest. Be modest, all right? Not to say that men should be immodest. But to say that in a conversation of gender attributes and tendencies, it's more likely something women need to be hearing. Are you, are you getting me this morning? So far, for example, we're going to say we need to speak to a gender about cleanliness. Who do you think it will be first? Everybody just said me, right? You, not to say every time, but you get what I'm trying to say, okay? That, that's, I think that's the point. Um, so, when gender is clear, where I wanted to get to today is sexuality. Where gender is clear, I think that it gives us the basis for a good conversation in sexuality. Um, so we have a good gender understanding and an identity question in Jesus. Where gender is clear, it gives us a good basis for sexuality. Um, how many look at somebody next to you and say, what is your, are you straight, are you gay? No, I don't, I just look up. Um, so sexuality basically is about, you know, your sexual feelings, your thoughts, your inclinations, your attractions, your behaviors, you know, towards other people. And um, I want to say this just at the tip of this conversation that, you know, the devil all through the scripture is clearly never creative. Um, he is simply corrupting. God is creative. God creates. The devil corrupts. And so what the devil does, works around the clock to do, is to corrupt the beauty of what God creates. And so there's this beautiful gender picture God has created, and I'll show you in just a moment, God's beautiful gender design, what the devil works around the clock to do is to corrupt it, okay? To just create, you know, corrupted versions of what God calls good. And so God created the world and said it is good, and the devil works around the clock to just destroy, to corrupt, to manipulate, and, and, and what have you. And so... Um, the big sin question from the garden, the big question that the devil asked the woman in the garden is, is the same big question that I believe our generation is facing. And the devil is saying, did God really say? All right? Did God really say? Did God really say? Did God really say? That's the big question. Did God really say? And I think that's the same question we are facing in our world right now. It's a question of did God really say? And so there are all kinds of expressions of sexuality, all kinds of, you know, um, um, manipulated expressions, you know, whether it is homosexuality, whether it is bisexuality, whatever, you know, forms of sexual expressions that the world picks up. And the big question that the world keeps asking is, did God really say, you know, fill it in. Did God really say? In fact, I came across something where they will tell you that you are in sexuality, you are questioning. Questioning and they call it the process of a person determining their sexual orientation. It's like I'm trying to determine my sexual orientation, so I'm like in a questioning phase. Um, or my gender identity. Questioning the default presumption of heterosexuality. So, you know, heterosexuality is judged as a default assumption or presumption. So, you go through questioning to decide, you know, my gender and my sexual orientation. And it's that same thing of did God really say? Um, here's what I would say. There's no reason for us to be questioning when God is done answering. Did God really say? Yes, God really said 
and God designed. That's what I'm going to show you. God didn't just say, God designed. God didn't just say something about sexuality. God designed something in that journey. And please stay with me till I get to the end of this. Please stay with me, all right? Um, if you're sweating, I'll take it that it's the heat. Sorry about that. But please stay with me, all right? Stay with me. Anybody sweating around you, they're sweating because of the heat. I promise. I promise. I hope. But please stay with me. Did God really say? Yes, God said. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. That's the big admonition of scripture. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. What the devil tries to do in our day and age, it's just deception, deception. Don't be deceived. And in some way, I'm going to show you that every one of us is standing on the brink of being deceived. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, all right? And you go on and on, verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous will inherit the kingdom of God. He says, don't be deceived. But what I want to do, let's track the origin of this. Let's see where it's all coming from. Let's see where the manipulation and what I call the corruption is coming from. In Romans chapter 1 from verse 20. The Bible says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. How do you see the invisible? Do you just read over things like this in the Bible? Do you see what I just said? He said that God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. Do you know what it means for something to be invisible? It now says God's invisible is clearly seen. How do you see the invisible? God says, I make it understood by the things that are made. Even my eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. God says, I am so God. And I know I'm invisible and I know you can't see God and all of that. But God says, do you know what I'll do? I'm going to create a universe and in my creation, in the things that I make, I will make you see my invisible attributes. So for example, you say God is a wise God. God is not just a wise God floating in some wisdom somewhere in space. He says, I want you to understand my wisdom, which you can't see by looking at the things that I made. And so as you look around creation, as you look at the beauty of design of creation, you will see that there is wisdom working here. And so you woke up this morning and you are even struggling to match a shirt and a trouser. You know, you pick the color of shirt and to find a trouser that will match was headache for you, you know. And here is God and you look at every butterfly and the colors match. You look at everything in creation and you don't like see a color riot. Like here is wisdom. You see a God who matches the legs of a mosquito to give them good balance. I know you're not excited about that, but it's something to... To understand the wisdom of God. And he says, look, my wisdom is seen in the things that I made. Um, and then he says that that leaves them without excuse. So everybody's saying, oh, but where is God? I can't even. God says, look around creation. I'm all over it. Now, look at verse 21. We're going somewhere. Stay with this. But because they did not know God, although they knew God, I meant to say, they knew God. But they did not glorify him as God. So there was a knowledge of God. Like it's all over. I don't have an excuse. How will I deny that there's a God in this? It's all over. It's everywhere. But I didn't glorify. What does that word glorify mean? Let's just put it this way. I didn't treat him as God. If he's God, I should glorify him. I should put weight and worship on him. I didn't treat him as God. All right? Everybody stay with me. Stay with me. It's going somewhere. They didn't treat him as God. They weren't thankful. They're just kind of people that are just not in the moon. No. They just didn't treat him as God. So the Bible says, in that journey, they became futile in their thoughts. 
I'll tell you why. Because every one of us is wired to worship. There's something in every one of us that has a capacity to recognize God. Are you hearing me this morning? There is something in every created being that has a space and a capacity to recognize and respond to God. And so if I don't put it on God, then I start to look for what to put it on. And so they became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Give me verse 22. They began to profess wisdom, but the Bible says they became, they, they were professing to be wise. And that's what I see in this conversation. I'll show you in a minute about how, you know, there's a lot of professing of wisdom. We're writing papers. Somebody's doing a scientific research. Somebody's saying, I'm analyzing genders and I'm doing all of this. We are professing wisdom, but the Bible says it is actually a journey of folly because what God has said is truth is truth. The Bible says professing to be wise, they became fools. Look at verse 23. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made by corruptible man. They changed the image of the corruptible God. There is something that God is to us that we are wired for. And the Bible says they exchanged it. They, they let go of what they were made for, of what they were wired for. They exchanged it. And they made it into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and... They got into creeping things, actually. Verse 24. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts. God, God gave them. This is the original Ephile. God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Watch where the journey is going. They exchanged the truth of God so, so we've, we've, been, we've been shouting, this is God's truth about gender. This is God's truth about sexuality. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. This is God's truth. God says, I made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. You leave the truth of God. Then you have to take up the lie and worship and serve because we are wired for worship. So when we hold back worshiping God, we start to find what to worship. Now watch where it goes. They started to worship the creature rather than the creator. We were made to worship the creator, but we start to worship the creature. Do you know how we worship the creature? We start to tell ourselves sexuality is about how you feel. It's about what you want. It's about what you're inclined to. It's about what's going on in your life. We start to worship the creature rather than worshiping the creator who is blessed forever. I love that line. He's blessed forever. Doesn't matter what the world says. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter your opinion. He is blessed forever. And he's worthy of worship. And in this conversation... The Bible says in verse 26, God gave them up to vile passions. Their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. This is the big story of humanity, everybody. And I'll show you in some way or the other, every one of us in this story. Their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one Another, it's a real feeling, people. Burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind 
to do those things which are not, it's not fitting. God gave them up to it. He said, you don't want God, you don't want worship, you don't want to treat him as God. God says, I give them up to a debased mind. It's what they chose. To do those things which are not fitting. The Bible says there's a natural use of a man and a woman. Now it changes. It's an exchange. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. On The story gets really bad. Listen, God did not just say it. He designed it. There's something about the creation design of God. It tells you, this is abnormality. God says, I designed it. And it is people traveling a journey of foolishness that start to exchange the truth for a lie. And listen to me, everybody. As Christians, many times, do you know why I say we're all in this story? As Christians, many times, we, we approach this conversation of things like homosexuality or, you know, other forms of sexuality. We approach it as a conversation of people at the end of the line. So it's like, what do you mean? How can somebody do that? How can somebody? We just approach it as a conversation of the fruit. But what I'm saying is I pray we would all see the journey that there is something about us when we hold back worship that is already traveling a journey of an exchange. I pray we would all see that there's something about us when that we don't treat God as God. There's something about our humanity that is wired to worship God. And our truth establishment is in that worship. And when we hold back worship from God, every one more day you wake up and I just don't feel like God is just, you don't treat God as God. There's something about your heart being darkened. There is something about us living in an exchange. You may not be at the end of that road, but in some way or the other, listen, it's the same journey of humanity. It's the same journey of humanity that has made people victims, that has walked us down that road. There's just something about holding back what is due to God. Our right functioning comes from understanding that God is to be worshipped. Our right functioning comes from understanding that God is to be glorified. God is to be praised. God is to be treated as God. That's how our right functioning comes. And when we hold that back, we are on a journey of a debased mind. We're on a journey of deception. God didn't just say, God designed it. God took something in a man, took something in a woman and designed it to demonstrate a mystery of who he is to us. Do you know that in the sexual relationship between a man and a woman, it's one of the most beautiful pictures. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 5. It's one of the most beautiful pictures of Christ and the church. Do you know that God demonstrates the gospel by the sexual intercourse of a man and a woman. It's crazy. Paul says it's a mystery. That God wired a man with something to stretch towards a woman and a woman with the capacity to receive it. God designed it for you to understand the, the relationship between Christ and the church. That there is that, there's that I'm a part of this. You're a part of this. There's that mutuality. There's that fusion. There is that I, I, I just longing for more. And that, that, that intimacy between Christ and the church. When the Bible says, may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Do you know the word there is the word koinonia? It's intercourse. It's, it's a deep, deep, deep intimacy between God and us. And God says that, you know what, in the things I create, I create them to typify who I am. I create things for you to see a picture of my ultimate glory, of my wonder, of who I am. And I just want to say today that these things must be pointers for us back towards the heart of what they represent. I would say this, if you are married right now, you understand what I'm saying. But maybe you're single and you're in a journey of demonizing sexual feelings and demonizing that longing for intimacy. I would say honestly, don't demonize it. Don't demonize it. It is a beautiful gift that God has given to us in our journey of gender 
gender to understand the depth of intimacy between a man and a woman that typifies what happens between Christ and the church. Don't demonize it. It's a beautiful picture that God gives us to demonstrate who he is to us. There's something about when you feel that way, like I just feel like I like something more. It's telling you about Christ and the church. God sets it up for us to understand him deeper. Our gender is designed. Our gender is designed because God said God designed. And it's in that design of gender that he designs for sexuality. Here's what I'm going to say this morning. I'm getting ready to land. Because this is a real conversation in our generation. And maybe you're listening to me in all of this and you say, but the, the issue is, what if I feel otherwise? What if I feel otherwise? I see what you're saying. I see that the Bible says this about homosexuals. I see that the Bible is clear about male and female as God's creative design in, a, in, a, in, in relationship and in marriage and all of that. But what if I feel otherwise? Honestly, I have walked this journey with people and I understand, I think I understand the journey or that way of feeling otherwise. And many times, maybe churches doesn't feel like a safe environment to even... Be honest about how people feel. You know, it's just this thing of there's an expectation of how you should feel. Maybe you say, what if I feel otherwise? And it's a real feeling. I know it's a real feeling. Um, but it's like I wake up this morning and I feel a headache. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say headache is not right. What do I do to get the headache out? I'm not going to start saying, you know what, I have a headache. Everybody must understand that I, we need an association of people with headaches when they wake up. We need an association of people that will stand for our right for having a headache. We need, we need to be recognized. We have headaches when we wake up. We need, we need empathy. We need love. We need understanding. We just need people to accept us as people that have headaches. I'm like, you having a headache is not right and I know you feel it, but let's treat it. I just feel in the same way that it's just an understanding and this, this is why God by his truth invites us to repentance. Do you know what repentance is? Repentance is a recognition of truth that there is a standard that is different from where I am and in recognizing it, I repent of where I am to accept a standard of God's truth. That's what you need. That's what you need and I know that you need people to walk a journey with you and all of that but something in your heart must be repentant of what is not the standard of God. Don't justify it. Second thing I would say this morning is people who say, what if something otherwise was done to me? That I know this is God's design, but the truth is I'm where I am because somebody did something against me. Somebody did something. And honestly, we live in a fallen world. You don't want to know the extent of wickedness. I've walked with people before that, just human wickedness. People at an age before they could even figure things out. Evil, evil is done to me. And it's crazy. It's crazy. I don't have an idea what that would feel like, what you feel, but here's what I'll tell you. Um, what was done to you, what was done against you is nothing compared to what Jesus did for you. And I pray you would know that. People may have done things against you, but Jesus did something for you. Because of what Jesus did for you, the power of what Jesus did for you can overshadow the weight of what people did against you. 
And one day we'll stand in heaven. And this is, this is the beauty of us standing in heaven. That many people feel like when I get to heaven, there was this big thing that was done against me. And I'll be able to just tell God that the reason why my life was at this level was because of that. And I'll just point and I'll say, because of that, God, because of that, because of him, because of that, because of my father, because of that person, because of that. You know, like I would have it because of that to point to. But I feel like God on the throne will just simply point to the cross and say, because of that, you could live. Because of that cross, you could have life. Because of that cross, you could have hope. Because of that cross, you could have healing. You could have forgiveness. You could have a comeback. Because of that cross, the power of every sin is paid for in that cross. The weight of sin does not compare to the weight of grace that was released on that cross. That sacrifice once and for all outshadows everything that was done against you. I pray you would know it. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, but what if I just can't? What if I'm just, okay, I hear the truth and I know it and I see it, but I just can't. And maybe for you, it's a question of sexuality. I've, I mean, I've seen people in these spaces before in the question of sex, just feeling like I just can't. It's just the reality of, of the burning and how I feel. And I just feel like I can't and I've tried and I can't. Or maybe it's even a question of gender. You've traveled all these journeys reactive to what was done to you or what was done against you, living to prove some point or, or something. And you just feel like I can't get away from this. Like it's who I am. I'll just say to you, you know what? You can. You can. You see, a culture is expressed because there is a nature. There is a nature of humanity that trained us in a culture. There's a nature of sin that trained us in a culture of sin. The reason why you have a sinful culture is first of all because you had a sinful nature. And here, here's what Jesus did. You know what Jesus did is that Jesus went and paid the big price. He did the big one to destroy the nature of sin in you. And as you say yes to Jesus, do you know what is happening? Is that he is making that exchange back. That exchange that had dethroned God. He's making that exchange back. He's becoming the Lord of your life. He's setting a new nature. He's setting a new authority in your life. And in that nature, you can start to learn a new culture. In that nature, you can start to learn a new culture of grace, a new culture of God's design, a new culture of how God framed things. We were not always like this, but God's word becomes the truth that starts to train our minds. Grace becomes our teacher. You can learn a new culture because Jesus changes your nature. If the nature is not changed, learning a new culture is impossible. You keep trying and falling back, trying and falling back, but because Jesus is so good a savior, he changes our nature so that we can live up to a culture of his word. One person claps and you don't clap, I judge you. There's this book that I've been reading recently. It's called Gay Girl, Good God by Jackie Hill Perry. And it's a story of a girl who, you know, basically just found herself homosexual, you know, lived that life for years. And then a journey of finding truth, finding Jesus and healing and all of that, repentance. There's this statement that I just saw yesterday as I was reading that jumped out at me. It says, we were created with a mind that bends depending on where the eyes land. We're created with a mind that bends depending on where the eyes land. And you know what I found is that in the world we live, you know, there is so much jumping in our eyes that our eyes are landing on everything that starts to train a culture, that starts to train our mind. And if you're not careful, you just accept the deception of this is who I am because this is the way my mind thinks. But, but as you start to put your eyes back on the things that really matter, as you start to put your eyes back on God's word and on God's truth, you know what? Your mind is trained. It's bent back to the culture that God made you for. It's the same way that God wants to train you in the beauty of gender. God wants to train you in the beauty of sexuality. God wants to train you in the beauty of his design. God wants to train you to see what he made you for. And so, 
let's start to learn this morning. Let me just say, what do I think should be our response as Christians? In a world that is asking all these questions about gender and all of that, what should be our response as Christians? So I'm praying that a conversation of gender and sexuality will point us anew to thrive in the beauty of God's creation order. Um, and point us anew to our longing and our need for Jesus, wherever you are, wherever you are. So what should be our Christian response? Um, typically, the Christian response seems to be just about what people that have a headache, cut off their head. You know, get them out, you know, just, we can't stand it, and all of that. And then there's the reverse narrative where it says, no, Christians, you know, um, you know that is true, but don't talk about it. And, you know, just make people safe and comfortable and all of that. But what should be our Christian response to the big questions of gender and of sexuality in the world that we live in? Number one, I'll just say that I believe we must have a greater depth in the truth. We must be greatly steeped in the truth. Truth is still truth, friends. And it doesn't matter the generation you live in, the age you live in, truth is still truth. We must be Christians that are strongly rooted in what the truth is. What is the truth? John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He didn't say I am a side of the truth. He didn't say I am an opinion. No, he said I am the way, I am the truth. If there is truth, truth is in Jesus. Truth is still God's word. John 17 and verse 17, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. Listen, friends, God's word is still truth. There are not two types of truth. We live in a world that says, you know what, my truth might be different from your truth, all right? So I can have my truth while you have your truth. No, you can have your truth. You can have your opinion, but not your truth. All right? Two plus two is equals to, okay, my truth is like six. <laughs> it's my opinion. Two plus two is four. But I accept it but I don't accept it. Truth is truth. We must be people that are not looking on all the headlines to find truth, but we understand that God's word is truth. In this day and age, we must be stronger about it. We must be steeply dipped, rooted in what truth really is. Second thing that I would say, on one hand, as we steep ourselves deep in truth, I believe that we must live with love and with understanding. I believe that we must live in this day and age with love and with understanding, with genuine compassion. The truth is, there's that big Christian narrative that is just about judging people and, you know, like classifying sins and then homosexuality is the big one. So, I mean, you know, I, I basically know people that can, that can stand anything, you know. Sin is evil, but I mean, I can deal with anything. But once I hear, hey, you know, like to hell, you know, God doesn't call us to classify sins right um and i just think there's a way we must live in love and compassion the fact that you have never felt that way doesn't mean that genuinely some people don't feel that way but you know what love and understanding does love and understanding is not you um is not you compromising truth um truth is clear and truth must be clear love and understanding is you understanding that behind the sin there is a sinner and behind the sin god loves the sinner god hates the sin absolutely 
But God loves the sinner. And love and understanding is you saying, how can I see the sinner saved? How can I point the sinner to Jesus? Love and understanding is not me dropping my standards. Love and understanding is not me reducing my standards. Love and understanding is me pointing a sinner to Jesus. The greatest expression of love that I can give is not pointing you towards myself. It's pointing you to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that can heal, that can restore, that can set your life back in the beauty that he designed it for. And I believe that in our day and age, there must be love and understanding with which we deal with the world love and understanding that the reality is that sometimes people are walking a journey as victims of a fallen planet and i pray that in the house of god there will be that kind of acceptance and love that helps people to walk a journey towards jesus that receives people to walk a journey towards jesus that in the house of god there must be a safety for people to walk a journey towards jesus as christians we must deal with people with love and with understanding that is constantly pointing to the truth not a love and understanding that compromises truth. That is no longer love. Any love that takes away truth is no longer love. But a love that understands the depth of truth, but also understands the grace of a savior. If you ever look at a sinner and you think the sinner's sin is too big for grace to forgive, you don't think big of the sinner. You think small of grace. I'll come again. If you ever look at a sinner and you think the sinner's sin is too big for grace to forgive, you don't think big of the sinner. You think small of grace. I pray will be people that understand the far-reaching abundant power of the grace of our God that he can save to the uttermost he can reach the unlikely he can save the impossible that is the power of grace people I pray that we are people that are stretched out in that kind of compassion as we understand the truth about grace and we understand the truth about God's word we are in love extending that truth to a world that really needs it the third thing I'll say this morning I believe that as Christians we must respond by modeling truth must respond by modeling truth. We live in a world that is so starved of what truth really looks like. So there are those, you know, I hear a headline there, I hear a headline there, but what does truth really look like? We don't model it enough. We don't show the world enough. You see, the Bible says that the invisible attributes of God are understood by the things that are created. I believe that as Christians, we must be creating lives and building lives that show the invisible attributes of our God. That where people say that we can't see God, I pray, they'll be able to see. You see, I, I want my children to grow up. I want my children to grow up in a home that they look at their father, they look at their mother, and before they even understand the depth of theology of, you know, gender and sexuality, they just know it's foolish. Because I look at daddy... And I look, do you understand what I'm saying? There is a model. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? And I believe that as Christians, we must be strong in modeling truth in our homes, in our community. Let's get over that Christian narrative that believes our lives are private and, you know, we're just all about our private life, our private life. I just think that the world is a generation growing up that is simply asking, let me see a model. Let me see a model. Unfortunately, the models that are jumping out are just models of immorality and of, you know, sexual depravity and models of just a fallen culture of gender misunderstanding. The models that are jumping out are simply models of people that were hurt and are simply expressing hurt or people that have been you know hit and are simply reacting to being hit and all of that but I pray we will be a people that have experienced something and are living our lives as models for a world that needs to see models of what truth looks like models of people that are secure in an identity in Jesus models of people that understand the beauty of gender that God has created and models of people that are living a right journey of sexuality. I pray that our marriages, our relationships, our homes, our lives as singles, our lives will be 
models of the beauty and the truth of God. We need models again. We need models again. We need models in the world. I promise you there's a generation that is growing, that is looking and just trying to say, where are the models? Where are the models? Where are the examples of this truth? And I pray that husbands will love your wives as Christ loved the church. And it's not until you put a ring on that finger, if you are the boyfriend or that girlfriend, love her the way Christ loved the church. If you are the spouse, you understand what I'm saying? If you are the data of that deity, love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her so that he will receive his bride to himself without spot or blemish. Where are the models of the scripture? Where are the models in families and in homes? Where are the models? It's not about when you're in public, in private. How do we model our lives? How do we live our lives to typify? It's one thing to sit down on your couch and cross your leg and say, I can't stand homosexual. Listen, if you are living wrong in the standards of God's word, it's all the same. And I pray. Let's be models, people. Let's be models of integrity of gender. Don't be a guy. You are 19 years old. And, and, and at 19, the thing you have used your mouth and masculinity to do all over the place. You know, just saying anything, doing anything. Don't take advantage of people's vulnerability. Model a life of strength and honor. You hear what I'm saying? I'll call your name and tell you to stand up. I'm not looking at anybody in particular, but be a model of strength and honor. You know. Rainy season, rainy season. Be a model of strength and honor. Even if the girl tells you, just come to my place at 11 p.m., just come and pick it up so that even if she's asking for you to take advantage of vulnerability, a man of honor protects. He does not take advantage. That's what I'll just tell you in Jesus' name. A man of honor protects. He doesn't take advantage of vulnerability. He does not. She's the one that used to just come at me like that. No, no, no. The one that the one you see Joseph saying that is it was not me that initiated, it was Potiphar's wife. A man of honor protects, doesn't take advantage. It's women also be strong in a gender space that uses that uses the beauty of gender. There's a beauty of gender, there's a beauty with which God wired us. Don't let the world just make you feel gender, just one of those things. It's a beautiful expression. God said, I want to typify my image, and He made them male and female as examples of who He is. There is something God about gender, there is something about the attributes of God that is seen in gender. So let's model truth. The last thing I'll say, Tim, come is. And in this day and age, in the loudness, in the loudness, I pray that we would hold our voice. Let's hold our voice. What should be a Christian's response? I believe you must hold your voice. Hold your voice. Hold your voice. Hold your voice, Christians. Hold your voice. Hold your voice. The lie is loud, but hold your voice of truth. The lie is loud, but hold your voice. Hold your voice. Don't let the world silence what you know is truth. Hold your voice. Listen, when I say hold your voice, do you know the truth? Sometimes your silence is part of your voice. Sometimes your silence is too loud. Your silence is too loud. In the face of what's going on in the world, your silence, Christian, is too loud. Hold your voice. Don't lose your voice. Don't say, because I didn't say something wrong. Did you say something right? Don't say because I didn't join those. You know, did you say something right? Hold your voice. Don't lose your voice. In the face of a world of falsehood, silence is, is silence is what's the word? What's the word? It's compliance. In the face of a world of falsehood, silence is compliance. Silence is compliance. Silence is compliance. My children know this so well. When they come and they tell you that, can I do this? You keep quiet. You said they should do it, right? You need to say the no. You understand what I'm saying? Silence is compliance. In the face of a world of falsehood. 
Silence is compliance. Hold your voice. Hold your voice. Hold your voice. Where God gives you influence space, I pray you'll be a voice for truth. Uh, you know, where God gives you influence space, be a voice for truth. Be a voice for truth. We're not, you're not a judgmental voice. You're not a tearing down voice, but you're a voice for truth. You know what truth is. You know what truth is. If you're walking down the road and somebody comes and says, um, um, you are from India, you know, it doesn't my truth you know no i'm not from india do you understand what i'm saying truth is, is to be spoken truth that is known is spoken all right um, hold your voice don't lose your voice don't let the world take away your voice and here's how i learned this morning i i hope in some way um you've heard something that has helped or that you can relate with and and all of that but my final admonition to you this morning is that um you see there is a beauty, and we'll just worship in a moment. There's a beauty of seeing God's gender design. It's a beauty of seeing God's sexuality design. God is for us, not against us. God wired these things for us to thrive and live a life of beauty, a life of peace, of joy, a life of, you know, a rightness to our lives. You see, God's righteous way is not just the right standard. It is the right thing. It is, it is what we were wired to function in. It is the beauty of what is right. And I believe that that's what we're made for. But as you hear this conversation today, I pray that you're not just going to hear um, a statement of, you know, some God somewhere that is calling homosexuals to be straight. Um, uh, no, that, that's, that's not my big conversation this morning. My big conversation is about a God who is calling the dead to life. It's about a God who is calling the dead to life. And I pray that that sound is sounding to every one of us. Word And in the truth of God's word is life. In the truth of God's word is life. In the truth that God gives to us in the truth of building our homes upon the word of God is life in the truth of building our lives upon God's standards is life in the truth of building our future upon God's standards is life and God is inviting every one of us not just to be better people not just to have better attitudes but God is inviting us to life and the truth about life is that it is in his son Jesus Christ he says I am the way I am the truth and I am I am the life I pray today that as we worship I pray that you're hearing a sound of a God who is inviting you to life I pray that you're reaching out to a God who says that in me is life and you can come drink you can lean in your heart you can have a real experience of life doesn't matter where you are right now doesn't matter what is going on in your life right now god is inviting the dead god is inviting people that live in a dead culture god is inviting people that live in a world of deadness god is inviting us to life in jesus name amen come on let's worship together this morning
voice people if you can lift your hands that's awesome will always be enough nothing compares to your embrace light of the world forever sing it one last time I'm running I don't know about you but I need Jesus say prayer for people this morning um don't know how you came to church this morning but I'm, I'm asking everybody to just stay standing in this moment because want to honor somebody who came and needs to say yes to jesus maybe you're living a life in sin you're far away from jesus don't know who you are really don't know how you came about being here this morning but if you can't confidently say that i'm in the right place with god um you know it doesn't matter what you're trying it doesn't matter there's only one way you can be made right it's by putting your faith and your dependence on Jesus. And I don't know who you are. I don't know what life is like for you right now. Um, maybe you feel like a victim. Because of Jesus, you don't have to be. Maybe you feel like I've been hurt, I've been betrayed, I've been let down. Maybe you feel like I've failed myself. You don't have to live in that guilt. You can say yes to Jesus this morning. And he makes all things new. I want to invite somebody this morning who says, yeah, you're speaking to me. I'm not right with God. Whether you're in this building or you're online anywhere, I'm not right with God. I need to be reconciled with Jesus this morning. I'm going to count to three and wherever you are, I'm going to ask that you put your hand on your chest and we'll say a prayer together. doesn't matter who you are. Maybe you say at some point, I'd make this decision. But as we speak today, you know you have walked away from me. You're living far away from God. You need to come back home today. He is so good a savior. He loves you. He knows you. He sees you. He knows the worst of you, but he still invites you to the best this morning. Are you ready? If you say, you know what, you're speaking to me. I need to be made right with Jesus. If you're in this building, if you're online anyway, I'm going to count to three. Put your hand on your chest this morning. One, two, three. Wherever you are, God bless you. God bless you. I see people around the room. God bless you. Thank you for your sincerity this morning. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else want to join in before we pray? If you're online, just do it where you are. God sees you right now. God bless you. God bless you. It's a new beginning. God bless you. This is a miracle happening. God bless you. God bless you. This is a family, not a crowd. Can we all say this prayer together, everybody? If your hand is on your chest, know that God hears your voice this morning. He sees you. He knows you. Can we all say, Heavenly Father, I come to you today because you've made a way for me to come through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. See, I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he's the savior of the world. I believe he died in my place. I believe he took my sin upon that cross. So that I can be made right with God. Say today, I confess Jesus as my savior and my Lord. Say forgive me of the past. And please give me a whole new start. Say wash me clean. Change me on the inside. And I'll change on the outside. Say it's a new beginning for me. I'm a child of God. And one day, I'll be with you in heaven. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Can we celebrate that miracle this morning? 
congratulations everybody who prayed that prayer big congratulations you know what i want to pray for people i'm going to tell you what to do if you pray that prayer in just a minute but before i end this morning i want to pray for people maybe you say you know what as you were speaking i feel like you were speaking to me there's something maybe a struggle i'm walking in maybe somewhere i am it might be something to do with gender it might be something to do with sexuality or maybe you really just felt the holy spirit speaking to you about something maybe as a christian how you respond to things or whatever but you know you know what i heard something today that i really feel god was speaking to me about i want to pray for you because i believe god's word is not just truth i believe it's truth and it's grace i i want you to walk out of those doors this morning as something new has started in your life whether you're online or you're in this building if you say you know what that's me you're speaking to me just hold up a hand let me pray for you this morning god i pray just hold up wherever you are god bless you god i pray for everyone this morning just saying you know what you're speaking to me there's something the holy spirit is nudging on my heart about this word today god i pray in the name of jesus for grace god i pray for people that need to figure out a journey i pray for people that just need to change something some attitude some behavior that need to change something today god i just pray for an empowerment that only the holy spirit can give. I pray, Lord God, that as they walk out of these doors today, we're not being swamped into a world culture, but Lord, we're standing up as true disciples of Jesus. We're standing up to live in the beauty of what you have created us for. God, I pray for a deeper understanding, and I pray for an establishment by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I thank you for it today. Do amazing things. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen, 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 amen. Now, everybody who prayed that prayer to put your faith in Jesus, congratulations. That is a miracle that just happened in your life. Now, after this service, on your way out of the doors, there's going to be some of our team just waving a little book. It's called a Fresh Life Devotional. I just want you to tell them, you know what, I need a copy of that. I prayed that prayer. They'll give it to you. It's free of charge. It's a gift from our church. It's just to get you established in that journey with Jesus, to get you started off. They'll love to know how they can pray for you or how they can serve you um, and all of that. If you're online, that's how you can let us know that you prayed that prayer. We'll send you resources to get you established. But you know what, we're just so excited about the miracle that just happened in your life. I want to say congratulations, congratulations. It's the biggest miracle that just happened in your life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are so honored to have been able to share this teaching message with you from Sycamore Church, Ibadan, Nigeria. We really hope you found it to be a blessing. To find out more about us or how you can receive more resources from our church or our pastor, Tolulokpai Moody, please visit our website, www.sycamore.church. That's S-Y-C-A-M-O-R-E.church. Or on Facebook and YouTube at Sycamore Church and on Instagram and Twitter at Sycamore underscore church. If you're ever anywhere around us, we'll be super honored to welcome you at one of our services.